This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. All right. Well, we've been studying highlights in Exodus, and today we're going to focus on another big highlight, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is a major, major topic in Exodus. It fills nine chapters of the whole book of Exodus, the longest topic, of, the biggest topic of any, of any topic. It goes from chapter 25 to 40. So just by the sheer weight of the words, there's something very important that God wants us to see uh, in the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle is God's idea. It was his plan for how he was going to dwell with his people. The tabernacle points to some very good news about God. That God wants, longs to be present with you, to be near you. So if anyone is here today and you feel like God is is distant, or God is far away, or God just doesn't want to be close to you, The tabernacle is going to help us see that it is actually God's very plan to come close and to be present with you. This is incredible news. I love teaching on the topic of the tabernacle. I love this. It's good news. It's good news especially for people who have been rejected. It's good news especially for people who have experienced the pain of a relationship that's grown distant. God wants to come close. He wants to be near you and give his presence to you. So let's pray and ask for his presence to fill us today. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here. That, uh, thank you for being present with us. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit in a special way so that we could, through your Spirit, see the tabernacle and, and how you brought your presence close. And then help us to see how the tabernacle points to Jesus so that your presence could come even closer still. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? All right, before we look at the tabernacle, I want to remind us of the context. So the book of Exodus, it is the story of how God delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And he delivers them many times. He delivers them from the gods of, of Egypt through the ten plagues. He delivers them through the Red Sea, rescues them from the Egyptian armies. And then God, after rescuing them and after their exodus, he leads them to Mount Sinai. What he says is, I have carried you on eagles' wings and I have brought you to myself. Because they, they come to the, to the Mount Sinai and they experience God's presence on the mountain. They see thunder and lightning and a cloud and darkness and fire. And they hear a trumpet sound. And God is present on the top of Mount Sinai. And, and Moses and the people, they come and they meet with God. Then God gives them the Ten Commandments. And then after they've received those Ten Commandments, God makes a covenant with them. They say, we're going to do these commandments and we will be your people. And they make a covenant together. Well, then Moses goes back up to the mountain and the cloud covers it, covers the mountain with the glory of God. That is the presence of God. And God's presence settles on the Mount Sinai. 
And after seven days, it's an important number, after seven days, the Lord calls Moses from the cloud. And so in the seventh day, Moses enters the presence of God. He enters the glory of God and he stays on the mountain in God's presence and in God's glory for 40 days and 40 nights. So what's God going to talk to him about? What's he going to say? He's in God's presence, in God's glory. What do you think God spoke to Moses about while in the cloud? The tabernacle. (laughs) That's what he speaks about. God said, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell with them. That is what this is about. The tabernacle is God who is up on this, up on this mountain. Only Moses could go up there. God, it's his plan for how he is then going to come and live in the center of where his people are. And God gives Moses a plan. God says, make, you're going to hear this a lot, make the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, we're going to look at the furnishings, exactly like the pattern that who's going to show you? God, the Father, Yahweh, is going to show you. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on this mountain. So 40 days, 40 nights, God's speaking about this tabernacle. He is planning it. He is designing it. It is his plan. He's the one who comes up with the tabernacle. Now, because the earthly tabernacle is a copy of the heavenly tabernacle, which is why this is God's plan here. So in Hebrews 8, it says this, if we have such a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the, th- of the throne of the majesty, Yahweh God in heaven, a minister, that is Jesus, who is already in, the, in heaven, in the holy places, in the true tent, because he's referring here, he's thinking about the tabernacle as a tent, the true tent that, it, that the Lord set up, not man in heaven, the temple priests serve a copy uh, and a shadow of the heavenly things. So this heavenly tent, this tabernacle in the heavens is, is in the heavens. And so this plan that God gives is a copy. The earthly tabernacle is a copy of what is happening in heaven. And that's why, by the way, in Revelation, such a magnificent book, um, you see when, when John sees a vision in heaven, he goes up into heaven and he sees all these furnishings and all these things in the tabernacle, the altar, the altar of burnt incense. He sees um, the the torches of light, the sea of glass. All of these things are reflection. They're a shadow of what is in heaven. So let's take a look at the tabernacle. And I want to focus on seven furnishings. By the way, Be forewarned, I'm going to do a lot of teaching today. Uh, There's a lot of scripture today. uh, And I've included a lot of pictures, a lot of drawings to help you see the tabernacle. I I hope you find this as interesting as I do. I could geek out on this all day long. I mean, I could talk to you about this all day long for a week. But I'm not going to. I will spare you. The tabernacle. Uh, the picture on the left, which I hope you'll see, is a life-size replica of the tabernacle in the desert in Israel. And it's so awesome. You can go there today to Israel. I've literally been there myself 
and just experience the life-size replica and the heat that is in the desert. Um, it's, so, it's so wonderful to actually get to see that. And then I love this picture on the right. Um, it's how Israel was commanded by God to camp around the tabernacle. And it is such a beautiful picture because God's going to dwell with them, but God wants to be in the center of our lives. And he wants to be in the center of a community. And he wants to be the center of a church community as well. And so it's pictured there in the way the tabernacle is set up and how they camp around the tabernacle as well. So let's look at this. The tabernacle. God said, and you're going to hear this again and again, make the tabernacle. And then he says, uh, make, God said, make then 10 curtains of finely twisted linen. And they're beautiful, blue and purple, scarlet. And there are cherubims worked into that curtain. And by the way, that curtain, it sur- totally surrounded the tabernacle. So, it, so what's happening here is the, the tabernacle, God's dwelling, is surrounded by angels in the earthly tabernacle. And then they're to make 11 curtains of goat hair to cover over that curtain. And then they were to make coverings. God said, make the tent uh, uh, coverings of ram skin dyed red and coverings of sea cows. That is to protect the tabernacle. Then then God said, make uh, upright frames of acacia wood and make crossbars. And all this is designed this way. And then they're to make a courtyard. By the way, the courtyard is about half the length of an American uh, football field, just to give you a sense of the scale here. Then they're to make an entrance uh, curtains to the courtyard, again made of blue and purple and scarlet yarn. And now we're going to come to the seven furnishings. I want to look with a little more detail at the seven furnishings and, how, and see how they point to Jesus Christ. So, The first furnishing in the tabernacle is the ark. God said, have them make a chest of acacia wood. So that's the ark. You see it on the screen there. But what's inside the ark, God said that they are to put in the ark the testimony that he's going to give them. The testimony is the the stone tablets where the Ten Commandments are inscribed on by the finger of God. So So that is what's put inside the chest. Then God says, make an atonement cover. And that's going to be probably two pictures from now. It's the next one. And you'll see that there's a cover on top of the ark itself um, that they are to make. It's called the atonement cover. That's on the day of atonement when they sprinkle the blood for the forgiveness of all their sins that year. It's sprinkled on that atonement cover. It's also called the mercy seat because it's God's mercy that forgives our sins. And you'll see in a moment why it's called a seat. Then they're to make two cherubim. God said make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the covers, one on each side. And then God says, after they've made this, he says, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Testimony, what does it say? I will meet you. I will meet you. And give you all my commands for the Israels. Wait a minute. Isn't God on Mount Sinai? Way up there. We can't even touch the mountain. We can't even put our feet on it. He's so holy. He's going to come live with us right here. God wants to come close 
And he's going to meet them right in their midst. And by the way, there's a throne in heaven, but the ark was considered God's earthly throne where heaven and earth meet. And that's why in the Psalms, you'll see this all over, but in Psalm 91, or 99.1, it says the Lord reigns and he sits enthroned upon what? And that's why there's the, the angels right there on that mercy seat. The ark is God's throne on earth as it is in heaven. It is a shadow of the substance that is in heaven. So, so God is going to instruct them to put that ark in first because God's presence is to be first in our lives. It's to come first into our lives. And all of these furnishings uh, tell us something about God, um, this good news about God. So the second furnishing um, is the, in the tabernacle is the curtains. God said, make a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet, scarlet with angels worked in, and the curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. And the most holy place is where the ark is going to be kept. But there was a curtain. Why did God put a curtain there? It's called a veil. Sometimes it's called a shield. It's there because God is so holy. You can't just walk in on God. It's not just any place. God is so holy. He is set apart. And so the shield is needed for the, to, uh, to shield them from the holiness of God. It speaks to his holiness. There's no one, nothing like God. The third furnishing in the tabernacle is the table. God said, make a table of acacia wood. And then God said, put the bread of presence on the table to be before me. How often? At all times. So on top of the table, God said, put bread. Now, what does the bread represent? What do you think? What do you think it represents? It's a good guess. The 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 loaves of bread, six on each side. They represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's called the bread of presence. And I love it in Hebrew. It's the bread, the presence is actually face, the bread of faces. So these loaves are the 12 tribes, their faces are always before the presence of God. And God's presence is always before them. Not just sometimes, always, always. So the table's a symbol. It reminds them, wherever they are, that they are always in God's presence. And God is always present with them. Then the fourth furnishing in the tabernacle is the lampstand. God said, make a lampstand of pure gold. And then he said, make seven lamps and set the seven lamps on the lampstand and they'll light the space in front of it. So the seven lamps were a symbol of the seven spirits of God. Seven is the number for completion. It means God's complete spirit. And fire, again, is a sign of God's presence because the fire was on Mount Sinai. Um, and so, so if you imagine... The tabernacle is completely dark. All, these, all this wood covered by all these uh, curtains and then coverings. It is, there are no windows in the tabernacle. You can't see a thing if it weren't for this light that comes. The light is the only source available in the holy place. Without it, the priest could not see. So the lampstand becomes a sign, a symbol to all of Israel 
reminding the people that God is their light. God brings light into darkness. That's good news. The fifth furnishing in the tabernacle is the altar of incense. God says, make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. And God then says, put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testament where I will meet you. So, there, so there's the Ark. There's God's presence. There's a, a veil. And then right there be, next to the veil is this altar of incense. And Aaron and the priests, they must light the incense in the morning. They must light it at night. And every time they light it, the whole convocation comes in the temple, in the tabernacle. It's, a, it's the hour of prayer in the morning and at night. In the morning and at night. They all gather around in the morning and at night and they pray. And the incense is always going. It is such a beautiful symbol that the prayers of the saints are always being heard by God. You may not see him. It might be, he's right there behind the veil, but they're always in God's presence. And again, it's a shadow of what the substance is in heaven. God always hears our prayers. He is always hearing our prayers. It's why when John is taken up into heaven, he sees the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's what it's a symbol for. So in heaven, these prayers are always heard. It's such a beautiful thing. God hears our prayers. He's right there. He, just behind the veil, he hears your prayers and my prayers. The sixth furnishing in the tabernacle is the bronze altar of burnt offering. God said, again, build an altar of acacia wood. So the worshipers would come to the entrance of the tabernacle courtyard. They'd bring an animal. The priest would examine if the animal is acceptable. Then they'd put their hand on the animal's head, imputing their sin. And then they would be offered in sacrifice as an atonement for their sins. So what this is saying is as they approach, they confess their sins. But what this is ultimately pointing to is that God forgives sins. He does. He forgives us of our sins. And obviously it's the sin that keeps us away from the presence of God. It's true in our own relationships. It's a sin that uh, distances the relationship. And so God finds a way to bring forgiveness so that we can enter into his presence. And then the seventh furnishing is the basin for washing. God said, make a bronze basin with his bronze stand for washing. And it's, it's the place where after the burnt offering uh, was made, you'd go to the water basin and Aaron and the priests would have to wash their hands. And can you imagine how dirty their hands would have been with all these sacrifices and their feet would have been dirty on that dirt. And so they had to wa- wash their hands and their feet and keep themselves clean. And, it's God, and it, again, that is God's symbol. It's God's way of saying that he is calling them to be a holy nation to be holy, to be set apart, to be clean, to be pure. Remember, the tabernacle is God's design. Did you hear that in in the words? God said, God said, God said make, God said make. So it's God's plan to build the tabernacle so that he can come and dwell with his people. So here's the question. When they finished doing this, when they actually finished making the tabernacle, What happened?
Well, I'm going to tell you. You're lucky. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to tell you. The scripture is going to tell you. And this is the main point of why God wanted them to build the tabernacle. And it comes at the very end of the book of Exodus. Then it says, Exodus 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered where? Mount Sinai? No! The cloud covers the tent of meeting, and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. That's what this is about. God wants to come and live and dwell with them. He wants to be close to his people. God wants to be close to you. He wants to be near you. God wants to give you his glory and his presence. Isn't that good news? But the news gets better. Because the tabernacle points to Jesus. Now that we've looked at the tabernacle, I want to look at how the tabernacle points to Jesus. Colossians 2 says this. These things, and he's referring to the the tabernacle and the festivals and all these ceremonies. These things are a shadow of the things to come. The tabernacle is a shadow of... Of the things to come, but the substance, the reality from which the shadow can even exist, belongs to who? Christ. So, what we're going to see is that all these furnishings in the tabernacle are a shadow that point to the greater reality of Jesus Christ. So, let's take a look at how these seven furnishings point to Jesus. First, the ark points to Jesus. Inside the ark, if you remember what's in, in the ark? The, yes, the, t- the testimony, the, the tablets of stone, the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Because Jesus is the Word. Jesus, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt am- and actually tabernacle, dwelt in a tent, is what that word really means, among us. And we've seen his glory. See, Jesus is in the heart of the heart of the tablet, the heart of the heart and the ark is a reflection of Jesus. It points to Jesus because he is the very word of God. And then on top of the ark is the atonement cover. It also points to Jesus. Jesus is the mercy seat. Uh, John 1, 2 says Jesus is the atoning sacrifice uh, for our sins. And that's describing that place of atonement, that mercy seat on top of the ark. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole wide world. So Jesus' sacrifice isn't just for Israel, isn't just for an individual, but for all people at all times. And then on, and then on top of the ark cover are what? To cherubim. Now, it's interesting. Right after Jesus is resurrected, in the Gospel of John, Mary stoops down to go into the tomb, and there's no body in the, in the empty tomb. Now, what do you think she's going to see? Two angels. One at the head and one at the other end. What's happening there? What, what, what's God doing there is he's, he's describing who Jesus really is. 
Remember, right in between the angels was where God's very presence was going to be uh, settled, uh, seated on his earthly throne. And there, there you see, see God in flesh and Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Um, so the ark and, and, and what's in it and on top of it all point to Jesus because Jesus is God with us. Now, so the second furnishing is the curtain, which points to Jesus. Between the holy place and the holy of holies, there was a curtain, and it was to separate the, the priest from the, the glory of God's presence because uh, of his holiness. That's why it's called the holy of holies. And Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter holy places, how? By bringing our animal and bringing it to the burnt offering and having the sacrifice and then washing ourselves and then having a priest represent us and then going in. No! <laughs> it's, all, it, it's a new day. It's by the blood of Christ. We, get, we have confidence now. I mean, he has done a shockingly new thing. That what he has done once and for all invites us into God's very presence. And it says it's by this new and living way that Jesus opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So Jesus actually, the curtain doesn't just point to Jesus. The curtain becomes Jesus. It's his flesh. And that's why at the moment when Jesus died on the cross in Mark 15, it says that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from the top to the very bottom. Nothing ever again will separate us from the very presence and glory of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is where we all worship and go crazy. I mean, in a good way. Crazy in a good way. The curtain points to Jesus because it's his flesh. We receive Through his flesh, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, there is no separation and we can confidently enter into holy places and the holiness of God. Not by what we have done. That's why it's good news. It's what he has done. The third uh, furnishing is the table. It points to Jesus. Remember the table had the bread of presence. Jesus talked about bread in John 6 when he says, My father gives you true bread. (laughs) from heaven and it comes down from heaven uh, and it gives life to the world and so everybody hearing him said well we want some of that and Jesus what does he say he says I am that bread I am the bread of life the bread points to Jesus because Jesus is the bread of life and he invites us to come to him and to believe in him. And when we come to him and believe in him, he promises that we shall not hunger or thirst. He is the one who will satisfy us. The first, fourth furnishing is the lampstand. That points to Jesus because Jesus was the light for all people. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I mean, what is he thinking about here? It's pitch black in the tabernacle. The light was the source that helped them see. And he's the one who doesn't just bring light source to the tabernacle, but brings light to the darkness in in the whole world. And why do we need his light? So if we follow Jesus, it's that promise of light and of life. Again, it was dark in that tabernacle. 
But Jesus is the one who brings light that pushes the darkness away. And the darkness shall not overcome it. Thank you for the amen. Number five, the fifth furnishing, the altar of incense points to Jesus as well. I mean, it all points to Jesus. So at the tabernacle, the priests would burn incense and offer prayers every morning and every night. But we now have a greater living high priest in heaven. And so it says in Romans 8, Jesus is the one who died and the one who was raised and the one who is in the right hand of God in heaven. He is continuously, and in the Greek, it's a present tense active verb. It means he's, he's not just interceding for us. He's continuously interceding for us. He is always interceding for us. In fact, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, is praying in line with his will. Is that not good news? You know, ah, it is so meaningful to me. We have prayer ministers who walk through the pews, and we have people who come here before the service ever starts, and they're praying for you, for you. Yes, you, every, all of you. You have been prayed for before you ever came. And that is so beautiful, and it's so wonderful. And it's so wonderful because it's a reflection of Jesus. He doesn't just come on a Sunday or a Thursday. He is always praying on your behalf, interceding for you. That is good news. The sixth furnishing, the altar of burnt offering, also points in a big way to Jesus. Uh, The way into the presence of God, remember, in the tabernacle was through the brazen altar. You had to offer your sacrifice, but Jesus now has become that sacrifice. And that's why when Jesus celebrated communion, he takes the cup and he says, drink it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of all your sins. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hebrews 10 says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. No more sacrifices can or should be offered. So when we celebrate communion, we're remembering his sacrifice, not repeating it. So Jesus becomes actually the altar. That's why Hebrews works with this. And he says, we have an altar from which, from which those who serve the tent, and he's referring to the tabernacle, have no right to eat. Jesus becomes that altar because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice who takes the way, away the sins of the world. Amen. And then lastly, the water basin points to Jesus too. Remember the priests were required to wash themselves, clean, clean themselves before they entered God's presence. But our eternal high priest Jesus has already washed us clean. 1 John 1 says the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from our sins. And in 1 Corinthians 6, you were washed and you were sanctified. You were, and that's what the washing symbolizes and, uh, by water, is the sanctification and the making holy. And you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Because Jesus, because of him, Hebrews 10.22 says, let us now draw near to God with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, in the tabernacle, they're always washing themselves, constantly cleaning their hands, constantly cleaning their feet. But praise be to Jesus Christ that this water basin points to Jesus because he has cleansed us. He has already washed us by his blood, by his word, he says, we are clean. And this water basin then points to Jesus who has washed us clean. And it also points to Jesus because he's our living water. John 7 says this, Jesus cried out, If any one of you thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of. So what's the living water? It's, the, it's God's spirit. It's Jesus' spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. The presence of God. The glory of God that, that they saw on Mount Sinai. The glory of God that filled the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God's people had the tabernacle. Today we have Jesus. In the tabernacle, the furnishings, everything, all the ceremonies, they all point to Jesus, my friends. What the tabernacle teaches us is that God, who created all things, maker of heaven and of earth, wants to come close to you. He wants to live with you, to be the center of your life, of my life, this church's life. He wants to be present with you. In Exodus, God's present on Mount Sinai, but he wants to come closer. So he designs a tabernacle where he can dwell, his presence can dwell with his people, but he wants to come closer. So he sends his son Jesus, who is the fullness of his presence, but he wants to come closer still. And that's why Jesus says, you believe in Jesus? Then out of your hearts will come, will flow rivers of living Water, rivers of perpetual living water of his presence. Friends, hear the good news. You are the tabernacle. You are the tabernacle. Listen to Ephesians 2 and I'll end with this. You are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple, a holy tabernacle in the Lord. That is who you are in Jesus. You also are being built together into a dwelling place, into a tabernacle For God, by the Spirit, hear the good news. You are God's tabernacle.
Lord Jesus, we just thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you long to be close to us. That you, you plan to be close to us. You bring your glory closer and closer so that you dwell in our very lives. We thank you that we get to receive your presence and your glory through the work of our mighty high priest, Jesus Christ. We are grateful. Help us to become more aware of your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.